and what I will ask you to do at the end of the message. I don't want you to do it because I asked you to do it. I want you to do it because you sense that the Holy Spirit or God has spoken to you personally. And then you respond if you believe God has spoken to you. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for your word. And Lord, what we do, we want to do, O oh God, not because of man, but because of your word. And our faith in your word. And knowing that, Lord, we are your people, we want to walk closely to you. We don't want to lag behind. We want to be very, very close to you. And I pray, Father, that you would do only what you are able to do because it's not in the power of man to do it. But I pray, O oh God, that you would minister to us today. Open your word as you've never opened it before. Give us, Lord, not just the ability to hear it, but the ability to understand and to take whatever appropriate action you would have us to take. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to preference this message with about two or three verses. First is found in Romans chapter 15. In verse 4. For these things that was written in the past was written to teach us. Now really catch what he's saying. These things that were written in the past, or these things that were done in the past, is really for our learning, to teach us. So that through endurance and encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. Through endurance and encouragement of what? Not what a man says, but what scripture says. That God's people may have what? Hope. Hope. Go over to Romans 4. Romans 4, 23 and 24. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, not just for Abraham, but also for who? Us. For us. But also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. Over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
in verse 11. These things happen to them. Those of the Old Testament. As examples. And were written down as warnings for us. On whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Every so often in a Christian country, per se, along with the people, there needs to be a reintroduction of themselves to God's covenant. Because we are a people that can drift away. And we'll say in our minds, I know God, I know God. But all the time, we're drifting further and further and further away. Because we're not renewing ourselves daily in his word. And then sometimes, if being in his word becomes a duty, you're doing it more as the duty than the joy of discovering him and who he is. And we just drift. And we drift without notice that we have drifted away. A marriage doesn't wind up in divorce court without people recognizing there's something wrong in the marriage or in the relationship that we need to focus on and we need to make some changes. But if we keep neglecting it and ignoring it, we just drift further and further apart. We have moved away from him and his word. And I think we can say that about America. That we have moved away from God's word. Many of us. Quite a few of us in America. Between the time of Josiah becoming king in 2 Chronicles 34.1 there are 16 kings before him. 16. You get back to David. And at this time you have the southern northern. It's a divided kingdom. And Josiah becomes king in chapter 34. I want you to turn there with me and we're basically going to stay in that chapter. I, I can't cover every verse, but I am going to try to cover what I think God has pointed out to me as the important verses for us. But you can read this chapter for yourself. But in 34.1 it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. 
And sometimes we have to ask ourselves, why is the Holy Spirit pointing out things to us that really may be of no significance as far as we are concerned? But to the Holy Spirit is very significant because he points his age out at different segments within this scripture. But with his age, he also points out certain responsibilities or actions that Josiah takes. And he tells us, Josiah becomes king at the age of eight. Now to put a picture on that that we might be able to relate with is like making a third grader the governor of Ohio or a third grader the president of the United States. Can you see that picture? The only thing a third grader is interested in is getting out on their tricycle or their bike or playing their games. They're not interested in running the country. They're more interested in peanut butter and jelly than they are in running a country. But here is an eight-year-old who becomes king of Judah. He knows nothing about God's covenant. He knows nothing about the word of God. He has not had an example around him to live out the word of God. He has not really had a man of God close to him. It's not only him, but it's a whole nation who is somewhat void of the covenant or the word of God. It's not that they don't know about Jehovah or haven't heard about Jehovah, but all these idols and images and Baalism and something different has drawn their attention to something else other than the one and true God. And it goes on. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. So he only lived to be, what? Approximately 39 years old. And sometimes it takes one lifetime to really make a change. Because change does not happen quickly. In verse 2 he says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. David was not his father. He's in the lineage of David, yes. But there's 15 other kings before him. And his father, Amon, and his grandfather, Manasseh, they did not, when you check chapter 33, verses 21 through 25, they did what was evil. They, he never had an example. He never had a godly man in his life. And a lot of us can blame, well, 
boy, my mom didn't believe, my dad didn't believe, grandpa didn't believe, grandma didn't believe. You can go on back down blaming somebody else for your failures, but at some point in life, you're the one who got to make the decision. If you're going to really seek after the one true God or not. You have to make that decision. Enough what others have told you. You got to seek him for yourself. God had to put some wonderful people, however, around this young man. Some people who didn't know of the covenant. The people who may not really know the word of God. But people who were older and at least had some idea about this first king of Israel, David, a man after God's own heart. David, a man who ran after God. And what we hear is that Josiah calls David, in a sense, his father. Or he's picked out, in a sense, his hero that he wants to somewhat put as a person before him that he wants to follow after. So the scripture simply says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father, David. He had to do some research, he had to do some learning, and at this point, he's a very young individual. Very young. But he took the initiative to begin to seek out this one and true God. So in verse Three, it says, in the eighth year of his reign. Glad the Holy Spirit put these little age periods. Because now, now he's 16 years old. Came king at eight. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young. See, a lot of young folks make a big mistake. They think they don't have to start worshiping God until they hit 50. And that old folks need him just because they need a crutch and somebody to help them along. Or maybe it's because they're getting a little bit closer to death and they want to make sure they're going to go to heaven. Young people don't see this. The blessing they miss by not devoting themselves to the one true God. They miss seeing God work in their life. They miss so many blessings because they themselves have not committed themselves to serve the Lord. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. Not the God of his father Amon. Not the God of Manasseh. But all the way back down the line, 
to his father David. That he begins to seek God. Because there was no reading of God's word. God's word has been lost for years. And kings of Israel had turned their back on God. And they set up their places of worship, their ashtrapoles, and their images of Baal. And Baalism. Everything was being taught but of the word of God. And today, everything in America from around the world is being taught. And the one that is they're trying to silence is about Jesus Christ and this book called the Bible, God's Word. And it says, he began to seek after God. He began to seek at age 12. At age 16, he began to really seek after God. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem. So he's 20 years old. But after dealing with all these false images, all this false teaching, all this Baalism, Something happens within him that says, none of this is true. Now understand this. He's destroying the gods that his father and grandfather may have worshipped. And the places that his father and grandfather and others may have built. Sometime in life, you have to destroy all the falsehood that was built in you in order for you to be able to accept truth. You got to get rid of all the falsehood. Everything that is not of the word of God. And you have to come to a place in your own life that you're going to seek after this one and true God. And your conclusion is going to be one or the other. He's real or he's not. He's real or he's not. But you're the one that has to really seek him. Josiah may have heard about God or the God of Judah, but didn't know him or his covenant. Because it was lost. Now, what we need to understand, boy, where am I? <coughs> he walked in the ways of his father, David, who knew the Lord. Eight years old, boy. Sixteen years old, boy, he begins to seek. Twenty years old, he begins to purge. In verse 3, Judah and Jerusalem. In verses 4 through 7, all the altars of Baal were torn down. 
but it's false in your life, eventually you got to tear it down if you're going to make room for truth. In his 18th year, he is 26 years old. In verse 8, and he begins to purify. Look verse 8. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to, prepare, to purify the land and the temple. To purify what? The land and the temple. Let's say the temple today would be the church. The church may have need of what? Being purified. We got so much going on in the church sometimes. There's no room for God's word. We can have so much entertainment. I'm not against singing, not against, as we call, dancing or whatever. I'm not against things. But somewhere, a lot of the things we do in church has pushed God's word out the door. We got Usher Day, we got Men's Day, we got Women's Day, we got Pack Anniversary Day, we got this day, and we got that day. We got every day but a day for God. And it says he began to purify the land and the temple, the place of worship. Why would the place of worship need to be purified? What would cause the place of worship to be unclean? What would cause the place of worship to be a place where God's people cannot truly learn about him? Yet, here he is, 26 years old, purifying the land. And then in verse 11, read this. Because as we read this, we might be reading about us. You might be reading about me. You might be reading about you. That last part in verse 11, it says, they also gave money to the carpenters and builders to purchase dress, stone, and timber for joints and beams for the building that the kings, catch this now, that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruins. The kings of Judah, those who have gone before them, had allowed the temple of God to do what? fall into ruins. If the next generation who follows us don't have truth and don't have an understanding of God, let's not blame them. Let's blame who? He says what the generations before allowed to fall into ruins. 
So there is no respect of God's house. There's no worship going on in God's house. There's no teaching going on in God's house. There's no word of God being spoken in his house. Because the generations before has allowed it to fail and showed no real concern about God. In verse 12, you find something very important that takes place. What is said about the people? And here comes a change, I think, in the hearts of the people. It says, the men did the work faithfully. The men did the work faithfully. The men. And the question can be asked of the church today, where are the men? Where are the men? who will do the work faithfully. Praise God, there's still a remnant of men who love the Lord and who do the work faithfully. But there's something in this verse also that is important for the church today. There are oftentimes in the church, you can ask somebody to do something I can't do that because of my skill. I can't do this. I can't do that. They come up with all types of excuses. I'm this. Look in the latter part of this verse 12. The Levites, all who were skilled in playing musical instruments. They were skilled in playing musical instruments instruments. They were not skilled as carpenters. They were not skilled as bricklayers. They were not skilled in something else. They were skilled in what? Music. But get to verse 13. Had charge of all the laborers and supervised all the workers from job to job. Some of the Levites were secretaries, scribes, and doorkeepers. But they supervised those who were working in the temple, on the temple, and you didn't hear anybody crying out, that's not my job, I'm a musician. That's not my job, I'm this. That's not my job, I'm that. They did the work faithfully because they saw the work needed to be done. And more than that, I think because and this is where leadership falls in. Josiah doing what he was doing in seeking the Lord. It's so important that leadership sets the example. That leadership sets the example. Get all the foolishness out. Get all the other junk out. And be godly men that people can look at and follow. Because they can see your faithfulness and your dedication to the Lord. And they follow. 
Then in verse 15, something happens. After all these years of the word being hid, they find the book of the law in the temple. He finds the book of the law in the temple. Hilkiah and Sephah, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. I have found the book. God's word had been lost, separated. A lot of our churches today, if you say open the Bible, many people would be lost. If you say open your word, no matter if it's the Bible, the book, or your electronic device, many people would be lost because they would be shocked to hear someone from the pulpit say, open your Bible. And Hilkiah says, I found the book of the law. Put two things together here. Josiah had made a commitment at 16 years old. He was going to seek who? God. He wanted to know God. When you make a commitment that you want to know him and you're going to seek him, It is God's responsibility to reveal himself to you. It's God's responsibility to make himself known to you. And what does God do? He allows them to find the book of the law that had been lost, the covenant, for so many years. He allows them to find it that Josiah would have something concrete. But there's something more that has to take place here also. I want you to put the two together. Josiah is seeking, God does the revealing. When you seek, God reveals. You're saying, well, I'm in God's word, but he's not talking to me. I'm just, keep on reading. Because one of the things God saw about Josiah is not that God didn't already know it, But Josiah himself had to prove it to himself that I'm sincere about seeking my God. I'm sincere about seeking the God of Judah. I'm sincere about seeking the God of David. I'm sincere in this. And God saw his sincerity by what he did in removing the idols, the Baalism by purging the land of all falsehood and cleaning the temple. God watched this young man dedicate himself in discovering him. And God then reveals his book, his word, his covenant to him. Come on down with me. Because 
the book goes to the king in verse 16. Then Sephath took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that has been commanded, has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Then Sephath, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Sephath read from it in the presence of the king. 19, look at the action now of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robe. Over in 2 Kings, it said he even wept, and that he humbled himself. He's hearing for the first time in his life God's word. God's word. Now there's a difference about you hearing about God from others. But then hearing it for yourself is something. In America, we don't take that, but there's a lot of places yet on the mission field when they first really hear the word of God. It's amazing, and it does something to them. We're so saturated with it, we turn from it, we run from it, we hide from it, we don't want to hear it no more. And it says that the king, his response was to tear his robe. But something else takes place. Because he wants to know more. So in verse 21, he says, Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant of Israel and Judah about what is written in this book. I'm hearing it I don't understand it. I'm hearing it, but I don't understand it. And that turns a lot of young people off. They can hear it, but no understanding. But look what Josiah does. He wants to understand. So he assigns them to go and find out What does this mean? What does the words of this book mean? We're hearing it, but we don't understand it. There's a difference between hearing and understanding. Hearing on its own may not bring about an action. I'm going to use the chillings. Sometimes children will hear a parent calling for them, but there's no action. They continue to do what? What they want to do. Well, my kids learned something. If I said it the second time, it was in a different voice. Now, either you can act, or I'm going to act. They acted, which saved them something. just hearing on its own will not bring about an action. It has to be a hearing with 
understanding that prompts an action. When they understand, I'm going to be in trouble if I don't act and do what I'm told. It prompts an action. Because they understand there's something that will follow if they don't what? They don't do. So you can hear and not have understanding or not willing to perform or do. But when you gather understanding with the hearing, then that causes an action. And he says to them in 21, I want you to go and find out what does this mean? What is written in this book that has been found? And then he says, not just for himself. When you discover God's word and really understand the truth of God's word, you also understand it's not just for you. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant of Israel. It's for who? It's also for others. God meant for you to share it. For the remnant of Israel and Judah about what is written in this book. When you understand what's in God's word, it doesn't just stop with you. It's for others also. It's for others also. And what he discovers in that latter part of 21, he says, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. That's some confession. My dad didn't walk with the Lord. My grandfather didn't walk with the Lord. This person didn't walk with the Lord. I'm where I'm at because of what I have seen and the example I've been shown. And he says, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord, they have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. If men could understand that, the importance of doing what God's word says, you will most likely never have to open your mouth about God's word because the children and grandchildren will see what? See it in action. Then something else takes place. They go to the prophetess, Haldon. And Haldon states all that is going to take place and she gives further understanding. In 23 she says, she said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Not what she's saying, but what the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. Now he's going to give what? Understanding of what is written in the book. And what God is saying. But then something else takes place. Because again, I want to iterate to you. When you have understanding, then action comes. When you have understanding, 
real godly action will follow. God makes Josiah a promise too. Let's read it in 28 because here comes the promise because he was seeking the Lord and he did what was right. God knows sometimes one person can't turn a nation. One person can't do everything, but he does hold that person responsible when they know. And he makes this promise to Josiah. Now I will gather you to your father and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all disaster. You're not going to see everything. All the disaster I'm going to bring upon Judah. But you are going to see some of it. Some of the things that are taking place in our world right now. We're seeing some of it. We're not seeing all of it. And it seems like it continues to get worse. If I may use the word, worser. It continues. And God, in a sense, is shaking us. And he says, you're not going to see my total disaster I'm going to bring upon America. But you're going to see some of it. You're going to have some of the effects of it. You're going to see some of it, but not all of it. And that's a promise he makes to Josiah. Maybe that's why his life is cut short at 39. Because of God's promise here that he would go to his grave in peace. But look at 29. Once Josiah heard back and he understood the word and what the word was saying, look at the action he takes. Look at the steps he takes. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with all the men of Judah. The people of Jerusalem First he says the men, then the people, because I believe the people include, boy, women, children, everyone. But he wanted to distinguish men are going to the temple. He called them there. The people of Jerusalem, look who else he calls, the priests and the Levites. All the people from the least to what? The greatest. Because they all had been void of really hearing what? The word of God. For years, God had been pushed out of the way in a sense. For years, God's word, true word, had not been taught. And they were void of it. And he gathers them all. For what purpose? To hear the book 
of the law, to hear the covenant of God. And he says, all the people from the least to the greatest, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. this book becomes lost in Aquin Alliance Fellowship it's because you have taken it, closed it and put it on the shelf somewhere and forgotten it it's the people's fault that this book gets lost in the church today Remember, he calls the priests, he calls the Levites, he called the religious leaders. And for the first time, many of them are hearing what? The word of God. He takes another step. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. What the king recognized was this, as we read a week ago. God did not break the covenant. Who broke it? The people. And he has the people stand in the presence of God and recommit themselves to what? To the covenant of his word. Just think about it. We can celebrate 25 years of marriage, 50 years of marriage. We have anniversary for this and for that to remind us. We do a lot of things in life to remind us of important things that we think that have taken place in life. But when's the last time you rededicated yourself to the covenant of God, to his word? to follow him. Well, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I don't need to do that. I know. When's the last time you yourself with your own mouth committed yourself anew to the Lord? Not to a church, not to a pastor, but to God himself and his word. And the king stood by his pillars in 31 in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then I want you to look at verse 32 because this is what I'm going to ask you to do. And the reason I'm going to ask you to do it is because we get things all confused. We have more laws today 
in our culture, in our society, that goes against the word of God. Now, they may fit the Constitution as far as the word equality. But somewhere, you're going to have to make a stand on do you follow the Constitution or do you follow the Word of God? Just about every commercial on TV has gay or lesbian or somebody else in it that is totally against the Word of God. Our young people just have this motto. Let life live. That's what they want to do, let them do it. No. If it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's wrong, it's wrong. My nephew had his doctor's degree in pharmacy, and he taught pharmacy at Phoenix University. And when he died, he mentioned his partner. And he died of a young age. Greg was only 41 years old. It's wrong. Living together, wrong, man and wife. But they love each other. They really love each other. Let them commit to themselves in marriage. And we come up with all these old foolish arguments against marriage and and against this and and against that. We got to come back to one thing. If this says it's wrong, it's wrong. Either you're going to believe this or you're going to believe something else. And you can't go through this and pick out what you want to believe and what you don't want to believe. It's the whole package or nothing. And he says, then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their father. And what I want to take is just a few moments. I want you just to stand. If you felt God said something to you, and you dedicate yourself to the Lord. I can't do that. Nobody else can do that for you. You're the one that has to commit yourself to the covenant of God and to his word. Nobody else can do that. And somehow God had to move upon the people And God had to touch the hearts of the people. That they would pledge to him, not to a pastor, not to a leader per se, but to him. 
I'm going to obey your word. I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to be committed to your word. If you think God has spoken to you and you really want to continue to seek him and know more of him, and you want to just dedicate yourself to his word, would you just stand and in the silence of your own mind, would you rededicate yourself to the Lord? You just stand and do it. You're the one that has to make your own pledge. I can't make the pledge for you. You're the one that has to dedicate yourself. You're the one that has to give yourself. You're the one that has to commit yourself. Nobody else can really do that for you. And when you do it, you watch and see what God does. Because if you really seek him with all your heart and all your soul, he'll respond to you. Just say your own prayer in your own mind, in your own heart. Father, would you forgive us for ignoring you putting your word to the side and drifting away from it. Not being a people, God, who are committed to you, to run after you, to uphold your word, to live out your word. Today, Lord, we who are standing, we commit ourselves that whatever number of days that you give us, we're going to live them for you and for your glory. We thank you for allowing us the privilege of hearing your word, reading your word, and acting upon your word. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Elders, would you come? Melville, would you come and do the center part? And the elders will take the two in. I don't know how sincere you were, but God knows. But what I also recognize is simply this. When you stand for God, he'll stand for you. When you honor him, he'll honor you. He'll do it. He'll do it. Don't neglect him. Don't take him for granted. Just because you've been a Christian 30, 40 years, and you say to yourself, oh, I love the Lord. I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. I would ask you again, when's the last time you recommitted yourself? Every now and then, I have to recommit myself to Elaine.
Every now and then we need to recommit ourselves. Even in this work, I have to recommit myself. Like it grows worrisome sometimes. But you recommit yourself. Melvin, would you lead us there? And we'll have some time. our knees let us break bread together on our knees when I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun oh Lord have mercy on me let us break bread together on our knees. Let us break bread together on our knees. When I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Let us drink the cup together on our knees. Let us drink cup together on our knees. When I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, oh Lord, have mercy on me. Let us praise God together on our knees. Let us Praise God together on our knees. When I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, oh Lord, have mercy on me. together on our knees when I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun oh Lord have mercy on me Twenty-six, twenty-six. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. 
and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, now catch this, of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Father, as we partake of this cup, we do it in remembrance of what you went through to secure our salvation. We do it in remembrance of you hanging on Calvary in our place. We remember it, O Lord, because he who knew no sin became sin for each and every one of us. You took my sins to Calvary. And you entered into a new covenant with your people. May we be a people who are willing, O God, to participate with you in this covenant. May we be a people who will follow after you. May we be a people, O God, who upholds your standards, your principles, your way of life. May we be a people that would obey your word above all else. And yes, Lord, though we may have to suffer for righteousness' sake, may we believe, O God, as you did with Stephen, you will do for us. You will roll back the clouds that we might see our Lord and Savior standing at the right hand of the Father. That what is taking place here on earth somehow, Lord, will be overshadowed by what we see in heaven. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for instituting this that we may have a time to reflect and to remember that we are a covenant-keeping people with our God. Shall we partake together? Amen. A little different. And uh, even that last part. Boy, me and the Lord, we, we talked about that because don't want you to be a people who just do when I say stand, you stand, sit when I say sit, turn around, you turn around. That's not the purpose of it. It was for an opportunity for you to re-pledge yourself to a God that loves you.
And I pray that as Josiah began to see and as God began to reveal himself, that you will see God revealing himself to you in a new and different way. He's a living God, and I cannot say that enough. He's a living God. Amen. We got a closing song, or is that it? Going through. I'm going through. I don't care what the rest of the world decides to do. I made up my mind and I ain't gonna turn around. I'm walking with my Jesus and I, I gotta go through. I said I'm going through. I'm going through. I don't care what the rest of the world about to do. I made up my mind, and I ain't gonna turn around. I'm walking with my Jesus, and I, I gotta go through. I'm going through. Yes, I am. I'm going through. I don't care what the rest of the world decides to do. I made up my mind, and I ain't gonna turn around. I'm walking with my Jesus, and I, I gotta go through. I'm going through. Yes, I am. I'm going through. I don't care what the rest of the world decides to do. Said I made up my mind, and I ain't gonna turn around. Walking with my Jesus, and I, I gotta go through. I'm going through. Yes, I am, y'all. I'm going through. I don't care what the rest of the world decides to do. Said I made up my mind, and I ain't gonna turn around. Walking with my Jesus, and I, I gotta go through. Yeah. And I ain't gonna turn around I'm walking with my Jesus and I I gotta go through No matter what the world may throw at us we made up our minds that we're going through with you. We're going to walk with you. We're going to talk about you. We're going to share the goodness of a God who loves all of us. And Father, we're committed to you. We're committed to you no matter what may take place in our life. But our prayer is, O oh God, that you would raise us up in high places. That, Lord, you would do things in our life that we would know, that we would know without a shadow of a doubt, is God who has opened the door. 
And Lord, would you cause our homes to be a blessed sanctuary, a place where we find rest with you, a place where we commune with your Holy Spirit, though he's with us all the time. But that, Lord, there's that personal time with you and that learning from you. We are your people. Teach us now. And as we are dismissed from this place, oh God, we pray that you would bless us. That as we leave here, we might be a blessing to someone else. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Jesus and I I gotta go through Now I don't run too swift I don't run too fast I can't make it on my own Not strong enough to last God knows I've made up my mind And I ain't gonna turn around Walking with my Jesus and I I gotta go through I said I'm going through Yes I am I'm going through I don't care what the rest of the world tries to do, no. I made up my mind, and I ain't going to turn around. Walking with my Jesus, and I, I got to go through. They tell me, Jordan, 